Welcome to the Landing Bay 04. I'm your host, Call Sign Scooter. Let's get into it. After a small break and a new computer, trying to get a new one because my old one died, uh, just trying to rebuild some of the assets that I lost, I started to think a little bit about some tactical games that blew my mind when I was uh, a younger gamer, we'll say. Now, of course, I grew up with stuff like Command & Conquer, Red Alert, and Stronghold, all like way back when, but... Uh, there's one game in particular that uh, really blew my mind when I played it for the first time. And it's about uh, 2009. Uh, the Nintendo DS was semi a new thing and I had one. So uh, at a store one day I found a a game that I've never seen before, never heard of. But uh, the artwork just kind of drew me in. And uh, that's when I picked it up and bought a game by the name of Jagged Alliance. The reason I picked Jagged Alliance was because at the time I have never encountered a game similar to it before and uh, I'm going to get into what that is right now. So Jagged Alliance is just a small tactical turn-based strategy game and you are hired to retake an island from a bad guy. We'll, we'll just say a bad guy because I can't remember the whole story. But you try to retake this island from a bad guy and that's the main premise of the game. Now how you go about doing it is what gets interesting. So you select a few mercenaries that you hire uh, through a company called AIM. Now I can't remember what it stands for but it's just a database of all these different mercenaries and they're all different characters all fully voice acted all with their own different personalities and quirks right and stats. So you pick uh, some of the cheaper ones because again you don't start out with a lot of money and as you play the game, you take these things called sectors. I can't remember how many there were in the first game, but each time you move into a sector, you know, time's a factor, sometimes weather is a factor if I remember right. But uh, once you get into these sectors, you may encounter the enemy, and then that's where the turn-based thing takes into play. So you take turns trying to take out uh, the bad guys, and then once you take them all out, then it's um, a liberated sector, and you can move on to the next one. Now the cool thing about it is the enemy will make patrols and it's all fairly dynamic. Like Each time you start it's going to be a little bit different. Each time you go into the same sector the layout's going to be a little bit different in terms of where the enemies are and what enemies are in place. So that's what the whole premise of the game is. Now as you progress you start getting uh, income so you can pay out your mercenaries because uh, you can either have them for a day a few days or a week and there's a different pay scales for each right so uh, you get generate income because when their contract comes to an end through the days then you have to re-up them or however you want to call it so time can be a little bit of a factor when you need to get some money to keep the ones that you have because their stats progress as you play the game and as you take out enemies they have loot and that could give you better stuff or stuff that you could potentially sell. And the really cool thing about the game is certain mercenaries will only work with others or vice versa. 
So you may like a particular mercenary and then find another one that you like and they won't join your team because so-and-so is part of your squad already and they refuse to work with them. So that's also a factor. And uh, that's how the personalities come into play a little bit. Somewhat uh, basic, but it's really cool and something I never encountered before. I know games like Valkyria Chronicles takes that to the next level where you really have to figure out which characters work well with what other characters based on their relationships with each other to make a crazy team. But at the time, you know, this was 09, and technically the game first released back in the 90s, late 90s, so that was mind-blowing to me. Now, focusing more on how the game is played in the turn-based realm, a lot of people are now used to how the new XCOM does it or some of the newer tactical strategy games where you have two actions. You can either move, do something like an action, or like try to fire on the enemy, right? Well, in Jagged Alliance, the first one that is, uh, it's all done by points. So each mercenary has their own set of points that they can use to do whatever, whether it's to move, to run, to crouch, to stand, to go prone, to shoot something, whatever. So that's what uh, you really have to take into account the points system. So if your mercenary takes hits or whatever, they lose points. So eventually they can do almost nothing if they get hurt too much. And that was a pretty cool system. But that was Jagged Alliance 1. And the one that I resonated with the most was the second one, the sequel, Jagged Alliance 2. Now I know there's like all these other expansion packs that came from the first one and also expansion packs for the second one, but I only really played the base game of Jagged Alliance 2. So what was so great about the second one, the one that was my favorite, Jagged Alliance, it was, uh, for starters, the whole interface that I've never seen before in a game where everything's done on like a little laptop of like the early 2000s and it's crazy and it's kind of hilarious but it's really cool and it's something different now they had a character creation system in Jagged Alliance 2 but they did it in a way where it was like a personality quiz so based on how you built your character like the profile picture you selected the skills that you uh, went into the most uh, the voice that you even chose to portray your created character all had a factor in your evaluation so then they would tell you in the evaluation basically like how a personality quiz does it you know based on this skill like your strength skill you tend to want to work out more or something like that also it helped the game to figure out what kind of uh, equipment starting equipment and gear that you that you got also, it kind of took me way back to the early days of the internet where you only had specific websites like before Google, you had only specific websites that you could go to if you knew about them. And in those specific websites, there was the links section and Jack of Alliance 2 in the computer system where you go online to hire mercenaries for your crew also has these little links to other spots to have like extra equipment uh, or websites to useless things that you could just read about, I guess we can't quite say completely useless because the other links was the lore of the game if you really wanted to get into it like the the island of Aruko or the land it would have the lore uh, throughout these links that you could you could find and then it would add you add it into like bookmarks so you can find them a little easier next time but I digress the same systems in Jagged Alliance 1 came into Jagged Alliance 2 like with personalities and stuff but people 
your mercenaries tend to interact a lot more with each other based on how you do and also based on the skills which is kind of crazy and I'm also speaking from in terms of uh, the 1.13 update that the community has put out as well which adds so much stuff like more skills and when I say more skills I mean like more attributes we'll say like are you like a western kind of gunslinger or are you just a real buff dude that has zero intelligence uh, also do you work better with guys around so if you put your character near the dudes their stats will get buffed a little bit more or it could be the reverse if your character is more comfortable around women than if you have girls on your team and if you put your characters close to the women that are on your squad their stats receive a buff so little little minute details like this are all through this game on top of that there's again a day night cycle if you want to go into a battle during the day or during the night uh, there's a weather system that's in there uh, loot and stuff is crazy in here and inventory management is very very manual uh, customizing your stuff uh, I've never seen anything quite like it now I will say all the graphics in the game were just sprites okay so you really didn't get to see all the stuff that you threw on your murk you didn't get to see all the gear and all of its glory it was very very simple but it was kind of cool to look into your inventory and to see all the things that you've built out. So you could have one holster or two holsters. Uh, you could have all sorts of crazy, crazy combos to increase your inventory size, but also have some sort of negative effects like being over encumbered or something along those lines. And your objectives, the way they work, it's pretty much the same thing as the first Jagged Alliance. The whole point of the game is to liberate the entire island of Arukul from a queen dictator that's really ravaged the land. And that's the whole point of the game is just to liberate all the little towns and cities and mines, which mines give you your income. Because again, you have to hire your mercenaries for a set period of time. And after their contract is up, you can refresh the contract or pay into them again. But again, you need to make money in order to do that. So objectives were given to you like old school games. You would get them in dialogue and then that's it. There were no markers or anything. Now the 1.13 add-on gives you some direction if you're struggling, like you don't know where to go or where to look. It'll guide you to where you need to go. But really it was like the old school games that really didn't hold your hand with stuff. It was, hey, you need to go here and find this person. And then you would go and find that person based on the description they gave you. And in this one, there's a whole conversation engine, if you will, in there. It's very basic, but you can talk to just about anyone and try to get some sort of information out of them if you interact with them correctly. Now, that was pretty cool. I've never seen something like that incorporated into a game quite like that. I mean, I know there are other examples that are out there, but that was the first one that really struck me as being different and kind of blew my mind a little bit. There was also a sense of accomplishment and a sense of having good intuition or intelligence or whatever you want to call it when you figured out how to find somebody or how to find an item, grabbing it, bringing it back and having uh, somebody interact with you positively based on how you did your quest. Speaking of quests, there are many quests that were in there that you would find organically through exploration or something like that. 
somebody would give you a job and then you would fulfill that job, whatever it was. But again, it was based on the description and how they describe what they want done, it was up to you to figure out on your own how to do it. And as you're fulfilling all of your objectives and trying to liberate the island, you also have to encounter the queen's patrols. So they don't just idly sit by and let you take over the island and encounter them whenever. They're also actively trying to retake stuff. So if you liberate a town and the people like you in the town, the queen will try to have a patrol to come in and retake the town. So uh, because you only have one squad really at the beginning, you can only be in one spot, right? Because it's in a grid of like a 10 by 10 grid of uh, different maps that encompass the whole island. So the next system comes into play where you train local militia to defend the cities whenever the queen decides to come and attack it so you don't have to be tied down with just that one area. Because again, you're trying to liberate the whole island and you can't liberate the whole island by just sticking around one small area, right? And uh, that's where training people became important. And that's also a skill that you need to figure out when you build out your team who can be a good trainer. Because if there's not a good trainer, it's going to take a very long time to get a sizable force in a town to defend themselves when the need arises. Now that's not to say that you couldn't return and help them defend it because again their skill level is based on your best trainer in your little squad or crew, right? So that also becomes a factor when you're trying to figure out what to do. Along with figuring out what you're trying to do, your gear also degrades over time so they, uh, they get old and worn out. Uh, you, you constantly need to watch uh, your ammunition, how much you have left, and to order enough to carry you on to like for the next few days or so. Uh, so a lot of these things are going on in the game that you have to really think about, and it's something that I never played another game that you have to think about all these different aspects. And of course, once you get into the turn-based system, it's the same thing as the first one, where you have so many points to spend, and that's for everything. And in this one, there's a lot more advanced things. You know, there's still the standard crouch, run, walk, go prone, crawl, but there's also strafing and things along those lines, which was really, really neat, really cool to kind of help you peek around corners and stuff to scout it out, if you will. Over time, too, the enemies, they get better gear and better equipment as you get better gear and equipment, and there is an RPG system in there where you level up. After so long, you get to spec into more skills when you level up. And it's not limited to the character that you created. It's with everyone that's on your team that's actively doing stuff. So that's really cool. So the people that really, really stink at the beginning, if you stick with them long enough and pay their contract fees for long enough, they could be a really, really valuable member to the team. But if they end up dying for whatever reason, they are completely out of the game for good. There's no bringing them back. So permadeath is a thing in this game as well, uh, which is really cool. And when you want to hire somebody else, they may be on another contract for a set period of time. So you may not be able to hire them at that point in time because they're out on assignment. And that happens randomly as time goes on in the game. But you have to be aware, again, when uh, there are personality conflicts with the team that you've built and if that's the case and you still want them you can still hire other mercenaries and you can build out different groups so you're not stuck with just one group 
you could make enough money to then hire two groups that can help uh, liberate the island. And managing one group is enough when you're just trying to get them from point A to point B, let alone having multiple people going all over the place and trying to avoid certain patrols or trying to avoid certain encounters because it's not just the queen's forces that are against you sometimes you'll run into like these tie lion tiger things i can't remember what they're called blood cats and they uh will pop out of, out of nowhere and those encounters are ridiculously difficult so that's why jagged alliance 2 in particular was on my list of tactical games that just blew my mind at the time and i never really beat it i came close a couple of times but i would either lose my save or when i upgraded and built new computers i would lose those saves i wouldn't copy them over i would forget to and uh, would start all over again which was fine i liked the game enough and uh, eventually i just never really got back to it i mean i played it here and there through the years but as of recently never really dove back into it but i can say uh if you've never tried it and wanted to try something a little bit different that's a crazy crazy good game if you want to get into it like if you like xcom the original one or the newer xcoms that have come out in recent years uh, definitely try this one out because it kind of is reminiscent of really the older xcom games like the first xcom games that came out now the caveats with wanting to play Jagged Alliance for the first time, especially on Windows 10 and Windows 11, I don't know if it even has been tested on Windows 11 yet, but on Windows 10, uh, there's a lot of guides to help you with getting it up and running on Windows 10. You can get it running natively for the most part without any extra additional setup, but when you want to get into the 1.13 patch, that's when you're going to have to finagle a little bit with uh, getting it up and running. But there are so many guides and the community is so great that they'll help you to get it up and running in no time. It's not very hard to do, it's just there are quite a few steps to get it working properly. And then we advance forward to like Jagged Alliance back in action and then there's been a couple of other Jagged Alliances that have been released but haven't really captured the first two games in spirit. So with the announcement of Jagged Alliance 3, I'm really excited to see what exactly is going to happen with it. If they're going to incorporate systems from the second one where you get character creation again. Because in the more recent ones, from what I know, there hasn't been any of that. And that's what's kind of stopped me from getting back into it. So hopefully Jagged Alliance 3 will have a remedy for that. And also, I don't know, just kind of be a better game. I don't know. And I hope it's more streamlined too, because trying to go back into Jagged Alliance 2 again, I just don't have time for that. I mean, I barely have enough time for like games like XCOM 2, where things are really, really streamlined, really, really easy to get into, not too bad. And you have that like one more turn syndrome that the Civilization games present to you. Uh, yeah, Jagged Alliance 3 will have to really be streamlined, but also have a lot of the cool stuff that Jagged Alliance 2 had. That brings us into the game of the week that I've been playing this week. And the game of this week is uh, DCS World. Been getting back into that game recently. And uh, for stars, I own the A10C 
the first one of Onap for since it dropped initially so many years ago. I also own the F-16 and also the F-14 at the top of this year, then the F-16 I've owned for, for quite a while. Now, uh, I've now since forgotten how to fly the A-10 a little bit. Um, it's been over six months since I've flown that one, but the F-16 I've flown for so many years in simulators, mostly in the Falcon series, especially the Falcon BMS, which I know the community was really disappointed in the initial release of the F-16 for DCS, but as of today, which is uh, the 16th of December, they have added so many new features that have really elevated the Falcon or the Viper, we'll say, way, way higher than what it was at release. Because now we have the air-to-ground radar, we have HARMS, we have JDAMs, JSALs, we have uh, mark points, we have the HTS pod now, which is amazing, and we're currently waiting for uh, Eagle Dynamics to release, or, uh, yeah, we'll say release, release the the Jammer part, pod, the ECM pod, and then also there was something else that they were uh, wanting to release, but I can't remember because I wasn't that excited about that feature, but the Jammer I was, and then the cruise page should be implemented sometime next year. So, very, very awesome. But even with all those things, I will say the content for the DCS series, as many are painfully aware, the content quite isn't there. And for those that don't know, I'm going to explain it to you in this way. Imagine if Civilization like 9 dropped or whatever. I don't know. Where we had Civilization 6. Imagine if Civilization 7 dropped and they gave you all the civilizations to play with and that was it. They just had the civilizations and then in order for you to play it, you would have to set up the scenario yourself. You would have to build the map by hand yourself. You would have to build out the technology tree by yourself. You would also have to build out the turn system by yourself. You would also have to program the AI by yourself. You would also have to uh, program the buildings that you get and what they do by yourself. So that's kind of what DCS is. Civilization without any of the game in it. Now, the community has been fantastic with creating stuff for you because the jets that they give you to work with and even some of the prop planes that they have that they give to you to work with they're really amazing they're really great I like everything for the most part works in them it's just they're super expensive so it's kind of a difficult thing to get into knowing that there's not much content there for you to enjoy so that's the problem a little bit with uh, with DCS now I know there are many multiplayer servers that give you stuff to do but in terms of the single player no there's not much now there are a couple of you know missions that have been added or have been uploaded that really make it seem like there's a game there and it's really cool uh, one of the things that i've been enjoying recently is uh, called persian power and georgian power uh, where it's a persistent mission where you just go you know blow up stuff and that's fun but each time something gets blown up, like a vehicle or an airplane, it's all tracked. So there are two opposing sides. You're on one of them, and you're just flying against the other one. And uh, once you destroy everything that's 
around a particular airfield. It won't be used anymore for packages to be flown out of it. Uh, so that's kind of fun. And it, and it takes a little while to, to complete. So that's, that was fun. And then uh, I'm trying to get into Operation Clearfield slash Snow Fox uh, Escalation. Been trying to get into those. Uh, just haven't really gotten into it. And uh, the DCE campaigns that are reminiscent of like the old campaigns that we've been used to. Uh, well, I say we've been used to in like the late 90s and early 2000s when flight sims were hitting their peak with all of their dynamic campaigns and stuff. Kind of gives you a little bit of that. Um, but if you don't have a really powerful computer like me, I don't have the best of the best. Yeah, I'm barely at mid-grade. It doesn't work too well, especially when you fly it in VR. Then there's uh, the Liberation, the DCS Liberation, which really has an awesome dynamic campaign with an economy and a front line and all that good stuff. Sometimes you have to plan the packages yourself, which isn't too hard. That's pretty cool. The only issue I have with it is missions are pretty long and I don't like to fly for that long. I really want to just get into the action and get something done. And then the tool that I use the most is called the briefing room, which will generate a mission based on different things that you give it. You know, just generate one thing for you. You go in and fly it, no big deal. The only downside to it is there's no persistence. So there's no progression or anything like that whatsoever. But that's the game of the week that I've been playing is uh, DCS. Despite all of its uh, challenges, we will say. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. It looks pretty good, I guess, but graphics for me isn't everything. Uh, at this point, I would still stick with uh, Falcon BMS for like the deep flight sim needs. But if uh, DCS gets itself together and puts together that dynamic campaign that we've been waiting for for forever, I think uh, it will be a real competitor to BMS if they pull it off right. Now, for those that don't know, what is exactly a dynamic campaign? Uh, like I was talking about before with XCOM and Jagged Alliance, those are technically dynamic campaigns where you have a random start or a fixed start, but as the game progresses, it will be different every single time. And it's just generated by the things that you do. And the reason it makes it dynamic is the things that you accomplish really affect the game world. So like in XCOM, or I'll say XCOM 2, the most recent one, if you do certain missions, it'll affect the aliens and how they can operate. Or if you fail to do something, the aliens have like an advantage over you because you failed to do something. Or like uh, in XCOM 2, if one of your dudes gets uh, captured or wounded, there are opportunities to rescue them sometime in the future. You know, it's something based on your decision or your failure. Whatever happened, your game takes it into account and works it into, we'll say, in quotations, the story of the game. So that being said, when it comes to a flight simulator that has a dynamic campaign, most people immediately go to games like Falcon 4.0 or Falcon BMS, what I've been talking about, and it is just a whole living, breathing, active, strategic war that's going on, whether you participate in it or not. And in Falcon, let's say, for instance, one of your missions is to go blow up a bridge to stop an enemy advance. If you blow up the bridge, hey, the enemy can't cross that river and can't invade in the territory or in a certain sector because you stopped them and allowed reinforcements to build up and then rebuild the bridge it 
and go on the offensive. And all because you blew up a bridge. And if you failed to blow the bridge, then that could affect later missions uh, to help stop the advance of whatever it is, like tanks or something. All the meanwhile, you have other packages that are in your flight and you have to know what's going on and you have to really get down the timing of all of your waypoints so that you have the proper support that you need once you get you know, into your little mission zone or whatever. And those campaigns typically last for like days in game time. And it can run in real time and you can speed up the time, but it takes quite a long time to complete a scenario just because of that. And if you're flying in different areas uh, at different times in the same scenario, outcomes will be different. Now, of course, the way those campaigns start out, it's like a chess game. You may have your first basic opening moves, and it, those may be the same every single time. But as you get deeper and deeper into the campaign in BMS, things will radically change. People set the bar that high for when new flight simulators come out with a dynamic campaign. Well, most don't even try because even micro pros, even though they're back now, thank goodness, uh, at the time, it could have really, it cost them a lot of money to get that done. So a lot of people or a lot of game developers are scared to even try to attempt something like that again because it would just take so much time. Not only time, but also money. Now, of course, the most recent example that I can think of in a modern flight simulator that has a dynamic campaign is, um, uh, what is it called? IL-2 Great Battles, which is like a World War II flight sim. And there are several different career modes that are very, very reminiscent of things like the original Red Baron or all the Sierra Dynamics flight sims that came out back in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. A lot of those kind of campaigns where you are in a career and you just get random missions and they're different pretty much each time. And I don't know if this is true or not, but from my experience, nothing really changes in the course of like history. Like some battles will happen and you can participate in famous battles or famous air battles, but as the game progresses, I don't think you can turn the tide of like World War One at all. You just have to really survive each mission. But still, you don't have to set it up all on your own and you don't have to rely on a community to do it for you too. So those, that's why those games have like the golden bar for flight simulators when it comes to a career mode or a dynamic campaign mode, something like that. I mean, just think about it. What if you had the next Madden game, they gave you the players, but you had to set up every single play in the playbook not only that, but also have to set up how the AI plays every single time you start a new game. There was no season mode. There was no career mode. There was no quick play mode. You had to create all of that yourself by hand. That's kind of like how us in the flight sim community feel when all these new flight sim games come out. You have all the cool stuff, but the game just isn't quite there. And then on the opposite end of the flight sim spectrum, there's like the arcade sims, which among the top is like Ace Combat, that series, which is really cool and all, and they have cool stories, but it just doesn't scratch that simulator itch to where you get to start up the jet from from the, from the beginning, uh, having to learn all the systems and then having to learn how to implement the systems when you get into trouble. It just misses that, I guess, the, the scratching the, the brain itch, if you will.
Well, I think uh, that does it for rambling about my frustrations with modern flight simming that have zero game in them, but all the simulation that you want. Well, thanks for listening in uh, this episode of Landing Bay 04, where we talk about all things video games, board games, and everything geek, including aviation. You're in there as well. Until next time, this is Call Sign Scooter, and I'm signing out. Oh,